Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms and grandmoms and aunts and big sisters and teachers and anyone who has impacted the life of a child today. We celebrate you. And to my wife who is home with a sick kid, happy Mother's Day to you. I love you and I'm so grateful for you. You know, speaking of my wife, what you need to understand is that she's the fun parent. She really is. She's the fun parent. And I was thinking about that as we were getting ready for uh, this Sunday, and as I was preparing the message for this Sunday, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking of, of all the different ways that she just brings that positive energy and, that, and that, that fun spirit to our family. And one of the things that I was thinking about was especially when we go on a long road trip, especially when the kids were younger. And so what would happen is we would toss the kids in the car around three o'clock in the morning. We'd give them their blankets, we'd give them their pillows, their stuffed animals, and then they would go back to sleep and we would drive. And, and the whole plan was to get as far as you could before they woke up. And usually that would work out okay, but you never knew when they were going to wake up. And the problem is, is that when they woke up, chaos would happen. And so I would kind of get that feel like a little bit before they would wake up, maybe that half hour, I would start to get, I was like, oh no. It's going to happen soon. And I'm on the highway, and I, and I begin to start looking for stuff because I know that as soon as they wake up, I need to be ready. And so what would happen would be is I would start to look for some road signs. So the first signs that I would start to look for were these up here. I would begin to look for these because I know that as soon as they wake up, they're going to say, I'm hungry. When's breakfast? I'm hungry. And so we need to find a place that has breakfast, whether it's IHOP or McDonald's not Starbucks, where are we going into one of those things? We have to find a sign. I had to find a sign as I'm driving. It would tell me where to go. The problem is, is that after we would go to this and, and, and we would go and we'd have breakfast, not too long after that, as we were driving, I have to go and find this sign. <laughs> and I told them, I said, you know, make sure you go to the bathroom before we leave. Make sure we go to the bathroom. And they're like, I didn't have to go then. It was only 10 minutes ago. What do you mean you didn't have to go then? And of course, we have to find a restroom and we have to go and stop. And then, of course, the last one that I would always have to look for on a family road trip is this sign over here uh, that would let me know that pretty soon at a gas station, I will spend my entire retirement savings. <laughs> but when you drive, when you're driving, especially for a long distance, you're looking for signs. You're looking for road signs because you're looking for these signs to point you to where to go. And here's the crazy thing about signs. Here's the crazy thing about road signs. Road signs point to a destination. Road signs point to a destination, but they are not in and of themselves the destination. They point to a destination, but they are not in and of themselves a destination. When I get to that road, if I was driving with my kids and they had just woken up and their chaos is happening and I just pull over next to that sign, I'm like, here we are. We made it. I'm not there. That's not going to do me any good. There's a sign that says IHOP. There's a sign that says McDonald's. That's not going to do me any good because that's not the destination. It just points to the destination. And today we're going to look at a sign. Today we're going to look at a sign. We've been in the middle of a series that we're calling What Jesus Started. And the reason we're doing this series is because our mission is to continue what Jesus started. Well, you can't continue what Jesus started if you don't know what Jesus 
started. And in this series, we're taking a look at the book of John. Uh, John is a book that was written by one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, it was one of his close friends, someone who was really close to him. And he documents Jesus' life. And in the book of John, John documents seven signs, seven miraculous things that occur. And then he tells us why he does that. He tells us at the end of his book why he's documenting these signs. In John chapter 20, John chapter 20, he says this, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John recorded these signs because of what they were pointing to. They were pointing to Jesus. They were pointing to the Messiah. The problem is we're going to read about one of those signs. There's seven signs. Three of those signs are miraculous healings. We're going to read about one of those healings today. And the problem is, is that in, those, in that story, there's a group of people who were looking at the sign as the destination. They were looking at the sign as the destination. The sign isn't the destination. It points to the destination. And the destination is Jesus himself. And the people in this story enter into it not understanding that. There's something that needs to change throughout that story. So if you have a Bible today, you can turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to have one. Take one of our Bibles here in Quakertown. They're on a on a cart in the back of the room. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth. Take it. It's our gift to you. We want you to have one. Look at John chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 43. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So see, he and his whole family and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. My wife and I have been attending Calvary Church for almost 21 years. Uh, when we first started attending here, uh, Calvary had, uh, at that time, a, a drama ministry. Uh, they used to have some dramas during Sunday services, and uh, they used to have like Christmas dramas, and they used to have all of these actors who used to do stuff uh, as a ministry for Calvary. And so I love acting. I love drama. Uh, I'm very artsy, not handy at all. So if you want me to fix something, that's not going to happen. I could write you a poem probably, but I'm very artsy. And uh, I, loved, I loved the theater. And so what happened is, is that my wife knew that, but she also knew that I would never sign up to actually audition. 
Uh, and so what she did was she signed me up and said, hey, your audition's tomorrow, here's your monologue, it's too late to back out. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that she did that because I had a blast on that drama team. And the leader of that drama team was Luann Rittenhouse. And not only did I have a blast being on that drama team, but Luann left fingerprints all over my life. Uh, she was one of the biggest influences in my life. And I have to probably apologize to her at some point because I caused a lot of problems. I used to goof off all the time and and cause a lot of stress for her, but I did listen. I did pay attention, and there was one lesson that she would teach me over and over again when it came to acting. She always talked to me about the moment before, the moment before, and what that was about was that when you enter into the scene, you need to identify what happened in the moment before. What is driving through this story? What is, what is the motivation of everything that is about to happen? When it comes to this story that we're about to dissect and about to learn about, I think that we really need to understand the moment before. I think we really need to understand the moment before in order to understand what is really happening in this story. Jesus had just spent two days in Samaria. Uh, Samaria was where the Samaritans lived, and Jesus was born into a Jewish culture. And the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they were not, they were not cool with each other. They did, they did not like each other. In fact, there was a lot of animosity there. And so Jesus goes to Samaria to place that uh, it's kind of shunned by others. He goes into there. He breaks down barriers. He has a scandalous conversation. And it's only scandalous because of the person he has the conversation with. He has a conversation with a woman out of the well. From that conversation, this woman's life is transformed. She begins to talk to a bunch of other people. Their lives start to be shaken. And then they go and approach Jesus himself and go and have a conversation with Jesus. And everything changes. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John chapter 4. I was just testing you. <laughs> Verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And here's where we have to set up the contrast. Here's why the moment before matters. The Samaritans, based off of the word of Jesus, based off of the conversation of Jesus, they see Jesus for who he is. They believe. They call him the savior of the world. The conclusion by the Samaritans is met only by an understanding of what Jesus says to them. And it is an understanding that is far greater than what the Jewish people had up until that point. It's far greater than Jesus' own, uh, own people. And then Jesus comes back to his home turf. So he goes from this spectacularly successful moment with the Samaritans, and he comes back to his home turf, and he comes back to his people. And we get this point in the parentheses in verse 44, where it says, Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. We go from this spectacular, successful instance with the Samaritans where this, this whole group of people began to believe. They claimed Jesus as the Savior of the world. He comes back to his home turf, and in parentheses, we get the setting. In parentheses, we get the setup here, and where it talks about how a prophet has no honor in his own country. And then the very next verse, something crazy happens. The very next verse, it says that Jesus was welcomed in Galilee. We almost have this contradiction that happens. It seems like we're contradicting ourselves. Jesus saying, it sets up that Jesus is saying that there's no prophet. A prophet doesn't have honor in his own hometown. And then the Galileans welcome him. And it looks like it's a contradiction. But what we need to understand is we need to understand the moment before. 
Whereas the Samaritans were looking at Jesus as a savior, whereas the Samaritans were believing because of the words that Jesus spoke, whereas the Samaritans were believing just because of their encounter with Jesus that he was the savior, the Jewish people weren't looking for a savior. They were looking for a show. They were looking for a sign. They were looking for a spectacle. In fact, it talks about how Jesus was back and he was close to those people who had seen the miracle in Cana. If you were here a few weeks ago, you would have heard Charles talk about Jesus' miracle in Cana where he turned water into wine. And they had heard about these miracles. They had heard about miracles that Jesus had done. And they come to see a show. To them, Jesus was no more than Hugh Jackman's P.T. Barnum character in The Greatest Showman. They were just looking for a show. They were looking for the signs. They had made the destination the sign not what the sign was pointing to. Again, let's consider the moment before. The reason that we understand that they don't get it is if we continue to look backwards to help us understand what we're reading right now. Now you can go to John chapter (laughs) 2. If we were to look at John chapter 2, we would have seen this. And it says in verse 23, Now while he was in Jerusalem, was talking about Jesus at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Did you catch that? They see the signs he was performing, and they believe in his name. That's... That sounds like a good thing. It sounds like a good thing. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew their heart. He knew their heart. He knew that they weren't looking for a savior. They were looking for a miracle worker. They were just looking for the sign. They were looking for a show. They were looking for a spectacle. And when they were looking for an entertainer, what they really needed was a savior. What they really needed was a savior. What Jesus understood was that this people, that these people were not interested in him. They were interested in what he could do. They weren't interested in him. They were interested in what he could do. And that's not a good place to be. So we've looked at the moment before, and as we looked at the moment before, and we've looked at the different reactions and the different uh, responses to Jesus, we can understand the tension, we can understand what's going on, and then we can truly understand the radical responses in the passage. There are some radical responses in this passage, and it starts with Jesus himself. Again, there's a dad who comes into the scene, his child is sick, his child is dying, and he makes a request to Jesus. And this is Jesus' reply. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. What's going on with Jesus? You have a bad day? I mean, did he miss breakfast? Is he hangry? I don't understand. Like, that seems kind of rude, that response. I mean, there's someone in need coming to him, and it's like, it almost is a rude response. Don't forget that signs point to the destination. They aren't the destination themselves. But what this man was seeking was simply the sign. 
He wasn't seeking this destination. And what Jesus is pointing out is that there's something far greater at stake here. There's something far greater at stake. There's something greater than saving the physical life of a child as precious and critical as that is. What we need to understand in this story is that the one who needs healing in this story is actually the official himself, is actually the dad. The one who needs to get the healing from Jesus is actually the official, and he needs an eternal spiritual healing. And we need to understand that as we begin to see his journey in his own radical response. Jesus, he comes to Jesus and he, and he has this sick son who's almost going to die. And he makes a request to Jesus. Jesus gives him this response that's almost a test. It's almost rude in the way that he replies. And then the dad responds. And let's not sanitize this story. Please, let's not make this into a hallmark story. This is a real person with real feelings. I remember when my firstborn was born. I remember when Caleb was born. And I remember at Abington Hospital, I remember that the doctors took Caleb and they gave him to a nurse and the nurse cleaned up Caleb and cleaned up all that goop off of him. And then they put him on this, this contraption. I don't know what it's called. I guess a bassinet. I don't know. They put him on there and he's under this heat lamp that's kind of like a fried chicken lamp. And I remember walking over to him and I remember just looking at him and he's crying and there's my son under this Kentucky Fried Chicken lamp and I'm just staring at him. And he's crying and I look over at the nurse and I'm like, can I touch him? And she's like, of course you can. And I just remember putting my hand on top of his chest and my hand was bigger than his chest and he stopped crying. And in that moment, I began to understand what it meant to be, to be a dad. In that moment, my heart exploded with feelings that I didn't even know existed. In that moment, I fell in love with my child. The person in this story is a dad. He's coming into the story and his son, his little boy, is sick. And he's not just sick, he's about to die. And so he comes to Jesus, Jesus gives him this radical response, and then check out the cry of desperation from the dad. In verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He cries out, my child is going to die, and you are the only one who can do anything about it. He's beginning to realize that Jesus is actually what he needs. He's beginning to realize that Jesus is the only answer. And then Jesus shakes it up again. Jesus shakes it up again with another radical response. He says to the man, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. That's not what the dad asked. The dad said, come with me. Come down from there. Come with me. Go with me to my son. Come with me because he needs to be healed. And Jesus says, go. This man is now put to the test. What will he do? The man has to trust Jesus and take him at his word. And what you need to understand is the distance of the walk 
It's not like he could have gone just a couple of blocks, gone home, and then come back to Jesus and say, hey, he's still sick. Can you come do something? It was a 15-mile walk. And in that time, that was a long walk. In fact, if we look at the verses later on, we see that the man is approached by his servants on his way home. He's approached by his servants the next day. This is a long walk. This is a big test. He has to take Jesus at his word. This is where belief grows into faith. This is where belief grows into faith. Faith includes belief and response. It includes belief and response. So what does he do? He takes Jesus at his word and he goes. And as he goes, he's met by his servants and they tell him, your son's going to be okay. The fever's gone. He's all good. He's healed. And the man's like, when did this happen? How, when, when did it happen? One o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. That's exactly when I was talking to Jesus. That's exactly when he told me. And the result is, is that this man and his entire household believes. But the belief is actually more similar to the Samaritans than to the people that were described in John chapter 2. The belief and the word that is used is actually a word that is more closer to they put their faith in him. They put their faith in him. You see, once again, the person in this story who needed to be healed was actually the dad, was actually the official. He had to be healed spiritually. The physical healing of the official son was a sign. It was a sign that pointed to Jesus. It was a sign that pointed to the real need in the story. And the dad gets it. And he puts his faith in Jesus and his whole household puts his faith in Jesus. You see, it would be really easy to read this story and be focused on the miraculous nature of the healing. It would be really easy to to focus on the miraculous nature of the sign. And that's it. But what's the point of the story? Well, let's go back to John 20. The point of the story was told to us by John himself. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What is the point of this story? The point of this story is Jesus. The point of the story is that Jesus is the Messiah. The point of the story is that he is the Son of God. The point of the story is that if you believe in his name, you will have life. That's the point of this story. So what do we do with it, though? What, what, what do we do with this? Well, if our mission is to continue what Jesus started, we need to answer, what did Jesus start? In this story, what did Jesus do? Well, in this story, Jesus heals. Jesus heals. And if we're going to continue what he started, then we need to be a church that heals. There's different things that you could have put on this list, I'm sure of that. But this is a few things that I think would be helpful for us to do as a church, as we strive to be a church that heals. H, help me to need. You know what? There's a lot of people who are going through stuff around you. There's a lot of people in your neighborhood. There's a lot of people even in the chairs around you. 
I just need a tangible need met. Help me to need. Lessen that anxiety in that person around you. Lessen that pain or that strife in that person around you. Help me to need. You know what? Maybe for this week, what you can do, and I didn't come up with this idea. I was taught this by Charles years ago. So this is Charles. If you don't like the idea, blame him. Put $20 in your wallet. Carry it around for the week. The whole point of the week is that you're going to give those $20 away. Pray that God shows you someone who needs those $20. Help me to need. E, encourage someone. We live in a very divided culture right now. And not only do we live in a very divided culture, we live in a culture that's very alone. Depression, anxiety, is at an all-time high, especially for our younger people. And we are constantly bombarded by how we are not worth it and be messages of how we are not good enough. Break that down and encourage someone. Send a text to someone and encourage someone. Pick up the phone and actually call them. Invite them over for coffee. Encourage someone. A, ask for forgiveness. Sometimes the pain that we see others are experiencing is caused by us. Sometimes the hurt of the people around us is caused by us. The first step to healing is to ask for forgiveness. L, listen well. Listen well. There are people around you who are hurting. There are people around you who may be going through a sickness that's just a little scary, or there are people who may have lost a loved one. Listen well. You know, we understand that on Mother's Day, that for some of you, this is a day to celebrate, but for some of you, this is a very painful day. We want you to know that we're listening, and we care, and we love you, and we'll be there if you want to talk, because we want to listen well. One more. S, share the gospel. The other four are worthless if we don't get to S. I just want you to understand that. The other four, if we don't do it by sharing the gospel, then we're just a humanitarian company. And we're just doing good things. Don't forget, the sign of healing in this story was not the destination. The destination is what the sign points to. If we're to be a church that heals, we need to be pointing to Jesus. So everything we do needs to be looked through that filter of sharing the gospel. People need to hear the gospel. We live in a world that there is so much uncertainty They need to know about the faithful God that we serve. His faithfulness was so powerful that he sent his son Jesus to pardon our sins and to bring us peace. People need to hear it. And they're not going to hear it if we don't tell. Share the gospel. If you want to ignore the other four, but you get to the S, I'm okay with that. That's our number one priority. Share the gospel with your words and with your actions. Let's bring the gospel to everyone and anyone who needs to hear it this week. Let's be a church that heals. Help meet a need. Encourage someone. Ask for forgiveness. Listen well. Share the gospel. Let's be a sign that points people to the destination of Jesus Christ. Let's be that church this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you 
for your amazing and powerful love. We thank you so much that you are a God who heals. Not just our our physical sicknesses, but our, our spiritual sickness, our eternal sickness, and that you are a God who did everything to provide that healing. That you sent your son to pay that price for us. God, there are people hurting all around us, and sometimes we're just blind to it. Or sometimes we choose just not to look. I ask you that you would just make our hearts just filled with a burden and passion to bring healing into our communities by bringing in the gospel. That we would be a sign that points to the destination of Jesus. Lord, I ask you that you would let that happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.